are we ready to start? Yeah, I'm ready to go if you are. Yes, I'm ready. Because you already talked a lot during the Trash Taste podcast, I tried to kind of like <laughs> go around so I don't do the exact same questions. So you mentioned that you were scouted by your director just like three months after you started your activity on Nico Nico. What do you think made you stand out among the rest on Nico Nico? Well, he told me back then that he was looking for someone, a vocalist who could sing in English that he could work with. And he was at the time looking around online. And since Nico Nico Doga was really popular, he had no idea what Nico Nico was in the beginning, but he was just randomly browsing the internet and around Nico Nico. He came across a creator, a Vocaloid producer called Buzz G. And he met Buzz G first. And then through Buzz G, he found my cover of Buzz G's song Gallows Bell. That was by co complete coincidence. So he found me through Buzz G. And then he found my song and said, hey, you know, is there a way that I can contact this person? And Buzz G contacted me through uh, a direct message in Twitter. And that was how we started. But did you know yeah. Buzz G at the time? Yeah, I when I covered his song on Nico Nico, it's kind of like a sort of secret manner to sort of give the vocal aid producer a heads up that you're going to cover their song. So before I uploaded Gallows Bell, I direct messaged Buzz G and said, you know, hey, I'm going to cover your song. If, is that a is that okay with you? So we had direct contact a few times. So yeah, that was how it started. Oh, I actually didn't know about that rule. It's not like everyone does it, but at the time, some people did that. Not everyone did, but some people directly contacted the creator of the song just in case, you know, they didn't want to cause trouble over the rights of the song or, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, a lot of the creators do put up, like, a, a link so people can download the instrumental song. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to contact them. But, for example, in my case, I did English lyrics transliterations. So that means that I'm going to change his lyrics. And so I wanted to ask for permission to be able to do that. If you're just going to cover the song as is, then it's probably not too big of a problem. But if you're going to change the song a little bit, then, you know, or arrange it or something, it's better to ask for permission instead of just, you know, doing without a heads up. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Since you got scouted pretty early on in your career, I guess you never really dug in into kind of like the Dojin comic market scene, right? Yeah, to be honest, I've never been to comic or those kinds of events. So yeah, it was only like maybe three months or so that, or two, maybe two or three months into my sort of um, uploading career before I got a direct contact with the directors. So yeah, I was a newbie. <laughs> <laughs> it must have felt pretty kind of unreal to get recognized so fast. Yeah, I didn't really believe it at first when I got the direct message but you know Buzz G isn't isn't a guy who makes many jokes he doesn't you know contact you directly and say hey there's a director who wants to meet you and say haha that was a lie no, he's not that kind of person so yeah I had only to believe that direct message and but to be honest though it took me about two weeks to give him an answer I had to sort of think it out and it took about two weeks for me to say yes. Oh, what kind of concerns did you have swirling around your head? Well, to begin with, of course, the first emotion that came up when I got the direct message was, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is perhaps maybe, you know, a big chance for me. But at the same time, I was only doing the cover songs for fun. And I was only doing it out of complete like experimental enjoyment. And so I wasn't sure if the direction the director would take me would be in the right direction. Because originally when I wanted to become a singer, when I first came to Japan, when I was younger, 
I wanted to be sort of what do you call not like a cover artist or sort of a Nico Nico artist, but a sort of J rock, J pop kind of a singer songwriter kind of artist. That's what I was originally intending to do. And so, you know, I was sort of worried whether or not we could work together and still go in the same direction. Yeah. But when you were scouted, were you、mm-hmm. in New York or were you in Japan at the time? I was in Japan. Yeah, I had come to Japan for a while, and I originally came to Japan in order to pursue music. Yeah, it was a while after I came to Japan that I started the Nico Nico. So yeah. Well, I guess you must have quite a lot of respect for Busky for sparking your career. Definitely, he's like my. I don't know, but like my lifesaver right now. Without having met his music, you know, the artist Nana would not be alive right now. So, on a side note, I actually met him during Comic Con, so I felt really oh really, <laughs> yeah, wow, yeah, he's a really nice guy. He he's just so、uh, polite, and you know, he writes so many good songs, and he's such a genius, and yet acts like. He's a complete amateur, and you know he's always so, yeah, polite. Yeah, absolutely. So about being a utaite, I mean, you didn't really had to stay that long as an utaite. You got major quite quickly,、mm-hmm. so to say. Still, you have a pretty loyal fan base from the Nico Nico days. Yeah, that is amazing. Yes, yes, absolutely. And how do you kind of balance it? You have to kind of satisfy several types of audiences.、Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything that you actively do to try to please everyone? More so than now, the first few years, or actually maybe like you know, the first five years were more challenging in that sense because after I met my director, my director was not like a. Nico Nico sort of friendly kind of director. He wasn't, you know, to he he worked in the regular industry, the regular sort of J rock J pop industry, and so he didn't really know a lot of the internet stuff and like what the internet fans wanted. And to be honest, like the Nico Nico fans and J rock J pop fans are a little bit different from what they want and what their sort of enjoyment is in music. And so he didn't. Understand everything that the fans wanted. Yet my fan base was ninety percent Nico Nico in the beginning, so I understood that, but my director didn't. So we kind of clashed in the beginning, like what image was better f- for me to put into my music, or you know how to what kind of sort of sound we wanted and what kind of artist image we wanted. Our sort of opinions clashed in many ways. So the first few years were a lot more tough for me than it is now. Now, since my fans are so loyal, they pretty much really—it's amazing—but they accept and they love and they support almost everything I do. So you know, I'm just grateful that they're still here with me, and I'm grateful to my new fans as well. So, yeah, we're seeing kind of like—I don't know exactly how to call it—but it's some homage to the. Old Nano on the newer、mm-hmm. works, for、mm-hmm. example, on your best album "I," we、mm-hmm. have a second disc where you did some translations with the lyrics for、mm-hmm. Rocky, for example. Yeah. So there's still a lot of these old Nano utaite days、mm-hmm. appearing in the new Nano or the modern Nano.、Mm-hmm. Is that something you want to keep going with? As an artist, I'm always looking to sort of evolve and to try new things. And because I feel that way, of course, there are some things that change within my music career, and there are some things that change in the things I do and the things I want to achieve. But at the same time, after singing professionally for around nine years, I do also really respect and understand. the the importance of where I began, and well, you know, my my singing didn't begin with Nico Nico. It began, you know, when I was a lot younger. But at the same time, my fan base and the sort of start that really kicked off for me as a musician was on the internet on Nico Nico, and from there. So you know, I will never forget that, and I will never say you know that doesn't matter. 
and I initially started doing covers of Vocaloid songs and English translations of the songs because it was really exciting for me. It was fun. And it wasn't because it was a job, you know, no one was forcing me to do it. And so that sort of excitement of doing it just out of pure enjoyment is something you should never forget when you're doing something like music. And so sometimes I go back and listen to my old covers and I'm like, oh my gosh, I sound so young and so bad, but still I can tell that I was having so much fun. And so, you know, I think my fans understand that. And I think my fans like that about my music as well. So in the future too, I would love to continue doing covers and maybe just having a few songs where I'm just really just, you know, having fun. That's lovely. I mean, I didn't follow you at Nico Nico right on YouTube, but I really, really like that there's a whole new side of the song that you can hear and experience because for a lot of people, the Western fans, we don't really understand mm -hmm. Japanese. And mm -hmm. uh, even if, if we do, it's not Probably not on the same level as a native Japanese speaker. Mm -hmm. It's really lovely to see that you keep going with this kind of homage, uh, if I can call it that. You know, I always, I never actually asked any of my fans this, and I've always wanted to ask overseas fans and listeners. But, you know, when I go overseas, I'm pretty surprised, in a good way, shocked at how much the overseas non-Japanese speaking listeners sort of understand Japanese and can sing along to the Japanese lyrics. The first time or, you know, a few times when I began going overseas to do concerts and stuff, I was shocked and I was like, do I even need to sing in English? Because I mean, when I sing Japanese songs, the fans are just completely, you know, rocking out and they're enjoying the Japanese songs as is. So do I even need to, you know, is there a point for me to actually translate the lyrics into English or sing in English? And so, you know, there was, that was one thing I always wanted to ask my fans, like, do you really wish for me to translate the songs in English or is it something that I'm doing just out of my own you know I don't know but enjoyment or is do the overseas fans really love that I'm doing this or you know that's always a question I wanted to ask my fans well I've been a fan of you since 2013 thank you so at least from my end I think it's real cool but at the same time it it, it kind of goes with a lot of Japanese songs is that we still learn the lyrics well, like mm -hmm. we just make the sound where we don't really get the meaning all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like the deeper meaning is never really conveyed in that sense. But because mm -hmm. of how music is a universal language, we mm -hmm. can at least feel the emotions, mm -hmm. even though we don't know exactly what it's actually saying or conveying. Mm, yeah, because when I started doing the English translations of the Vocaloid songs, that was completely my sort of motivation and my point. Nowadays, there are a lot of Japanese singers who are fluent in English and can sing in English. But 10 years ago, there were still not too many Japanese artists who could sing uh, fluently in English or uh, translate lyrics fluently. There were so many amazing Vocaloid songs that I found online. I was like, oh my gosh, how are these Vocaloid producers creating such great music and just sending it out for free online? You know, this is amazing. Like, this is a treasure box. And I found so many amazing songs and I just needed and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to tell this to the world. I have to tell the global community about this treasure box. And so I decided to write my own lyrics and translate it into English so that the global fans would have, you know, more closer contact and closer emotional connection with the songs. And so that was my start. That was why I started doing it. I think it's a really lovely idea because it's kind of like a honeypot <laughs> once mm. you get into the music and uh, then you start to discover the rest of it. But let's jump into some of the days when you were still not showing your face. Mm -hmm. Okay. I found it very interesting, uh, the things you said on, on Trash Taste, but there were some points that I wanted to get deeper into to uh, okay. learn more about. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the Nico Nico artists there, uh, well, at, at least in the past, always hid their faces. 
And I spoke with Riol before, and she said that she did it because she was still a student back then. So、mm. maybe it wasn't a good thing to reveal yourself. But、mm. what was the reason for you mainly? You know the the Japanese sort of society is very distinct, or you know, kind of rare in a way. I should say. I think Nico Nico was sort of a very Japanese like. It was Nico Nico was a great mirror of the Japanese society because overseas and like global users and stuff who use YouTube, for example, they have no sort of problem showing their face when they sing, or you know, they they up. Upload their faces onto YouTube or like you know take pictures on, on SNS and stuff, and they're completely open about showing their face. But in Japan, Japanese people are really shy, as you know, as people, as society, and they also don't want to cause trouble, and they don't want to do something and then cause trouble at school or work, or you know. So a lot of people, when they do stuff online, they Try not to reveal too much about themselves, personal information, and so that was the beginning of Nico Nico. Like people were very against showing their faces. Like everyone was against showing their faces. No one did it. So naturally, everyone who was an utaite or a Vocaloid producer, it was like a natural thing. No one even doubted for a second. Why? Why am I not showing my face? Because everyone was doing that. So it was a natural process for me to not show my face. And Japanese people are so talented. Everyone was an amateur on Nico Nico, even like the illustrators, and everyone was amateur. So when they sort of collaborated together, the voices, the utaites, collaborated with artists who drew pictures and images for them, and uploaded sort of characters instead of their faces onto Nico Nico. And that was kind of like the I don't know, like the rules of Nico Nico. It was kind of established that that was the pattern how things should go, right? Yeah, exactly. So everyone had their own like image, like illustration image. They were like a character on Nico Nico. They weren't a human. They were more of like a an utaite was like a character. That was a natural process for me not to show my face in the beginning. Though I was actually not used to hiding my face, and now I was trying to hide my face. So it was it was weird for me to get used to that. But at the same time, that enabled me to focus completely on my singing and not, you know, having to think about you know, oh my god, I look so weird when I sing, like you know, and my expressions or why do I have to. You know what kind of image am I putting out or anything? You know, it was completely free for me to just sing the way I wanted to sing. So、um, I realized that maybe not showing too much of yourself at times is better than showing too much of yourself and giving people too much information about yourself. It leaves room for imagination to the listeners. Do you think that this would only happen if this was only in Japan? I kind of get it, but. What if you would do the same thing but abroad? You think that would work? Um, I don't know, but if, for example, I had not come across Nico Nico, I maybe would not have gone in the same direction. I probably might have been showing my face more, like in an earlier stage, or I don't know. But you know, Nico Nico is is was a very closed community, and so everyone felt safe inside Nico Nico. Like you know, you were in the walls, and、um, you were being protected, and you were also protecting everyone else by protecting yourself. It was a way to live a normal life, but at the same time, do the things you want to do. Like you said about Rail, she's you know she said she was a student and she also was doing online music at the same time, and so it was a way to be able to protect yourself, but at the same time do music. One of the things that was happening was that people wasn't sure about your gender. How did you kind of cope with that? In the beginning, I didn't really understand what my fans thought of me, but slowly I began to realize. That a lot of my fans thought that I was a boy. By the time I realized that, though, almost like a majority of the percentage of my listeners thought that I was a boy, and so it wasn't that I was trying to hide my gender or anything. But I was like, well, you know, Nico, Nico, all Utai days are characters, and so it's not that I was trying to be someone else. But since my fans wanted me 
to be this kind of image. And, you know, they had their sort of imagination about the kind of character I was. And I didn't want to break that character. So I wanted to make sure that the people listening would be enjoying my music in the way that they wanted to. So I wasn't going to say, hey, no way, you know, you're wrong. You know, get rid of that image. You know, I'm a, I'm a girl, blah. You know, I didn't want to do that. So that was why I stayed silent about uh, my gender as well, but not just about my gender. It was about my entire sort of personal life as well. I didn't tell them personal details and gender was just a part of that. I decided to just let my fans enjoy my music in their own world. But this kind of carried over to your image, like before you revealed your face, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I never imagined that, for example, I made a debut as a singer and actually became a professional singer. I never imagined that I would be continuing to do that kind of thing. So it was kind of surprising for me that I was carrying it on into my major career as well. But like I said earlier, the director that I met, he the funny thing is, he also thought that I was a boy. And <laughs> um, so when we met, I didn't tell him that. And so when we um, met up for the first time, he was looking for a boy. And so I was right next to him, but he didn't realize that I was Nano. And he's like, Nano is not coming. Where, where the hell is he? And then I was like, pardon me, I'm Nano. And he's like, what? I was expecting a boy. And it was so hilarious. But anyways, so after his initial shock, he got used to it, of course. But at the same time, he also found it interesting that my fans thought I was a boy. And so he was like, you know, this mysterious thing is actually really interesting. You know, let's see how how far we can go with this. And so he wanted to just push it to the extremes. He wanted to push it until it was completely impossible for me to hide any longer. So we continued that image. And so he said, you know, no showing your face ever. Make sure that you don't let slip anywhere about your personal life or anything about your image. You know, don't break this image. So it was really challenging and tough for me to have to sort of fulfill that. But at the same time, it was professional work for me now. I was like, even if I die doing this, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to fulfill this because he is the you know the savior who gave me a professional debut and i'm gonna do everything i can to be able to sort of live up to his expectations absolutely do you have some description for what was the nano that you were trying to portray back in the days like ikemen or something like that actually it wasn't about gender but it was more just about being rock and roll it was more about being Nowadays, you know, the word genderless is sort of popular and everyone understands it. But at the time, 10 years ago or nine years ago, genderless was not as you know popular as it is now. If I look back, what I was trying to portray was being genderless, you know, crossing borders, not being a girl or a guy, just being very sort of rock and roll in soul. The image I had was people, my goal was that people would listen to my music and forget gender, forget image, forget face. They would just delve into my music and feel good about the music itself. So that was where I was trying to aim for. We talked a lot about the mysterious Nano who kept hiding in their face for, I think, five years, right? Yeah, I think five years. Yeah, that was uh, leading up to your fifth anniversary where mm -hmm. you revealed your face officially for the first time. Mm -hmm. How was it to prepare for that moment? You know, all along since my debut, somewhere inside, I knew that there would be a day when I would come out into the world and say, you know, hello, this is Nano. This is what I look like. Um, you know, I'm a human being and, you know, I, I exist. But at the same time, I was really, really busy with a lot of new music during the first five years. So I never really thought when or how I would come out to the world. Not even my director really planned it or anything. But I think a year before my fifth anniversary, we were like, it's your fifth anniversary next year. 
And we got to make it big. It's a big thing. It's a big milestone for you. What do we do? How do we make it big? And it was like, well, this is maybe the chance for you to evolve and go to the next level and go to the next step. And what is the next step? And I strongly felt, and my director felt as well, that the next step would be to step out into the world and to expand my horizons, to reach out to more and more people. To be able to do that, I would have to, you know, come out and show my face because I wouldn't be able to do as many lives. The difficult thing about not showing my face was that I couldn't really meet a lot of people. I couldn't do too many interviews where they took my photos or lives where they took my photos. You know, I was always the one that they had to edit out or, you know, if they were doing a live broadcast, then I couldn't take part in that. And that was really, really heartbreaking for me because I wanted to be a part of that. But, you know, I couldn't. In order for me to expand my horizons, I had to say, this is what I look like. This is my face. Please take any pictures, you know, share it to the world. Be free. So that was my big chance when my fifth anniversary came. We were like, you know, this is the time to do it. Let's do it. I think it kind of goes both ways because as a fan, I remember when you were doing the collaboration with Hiro for mm -hmm. Save Your Song. Mm -hmm. And you guys had an interview session. So back then, Hiro sat in front of you and you sat in front of him. What we could see of you were only like the back. And yeah. Then, and only Hiro's face was being shown. Yeah, sometimes, to be honest, I felt very, like, guilty about that because, you know, if I collaborated with someone or if I took part in an event, I was the one who was always saying, I'm sorry, I can't show my face. And, you know, I felt very guilty about that and having to make everyone else adjust to that. And at the same time, though, no one said, you know, that's a problem, but I always felt that it wasn't equal of me to do that in a way. After I showed my face, everything felt so freeing and so liberating. I was like, oh, finally, I'm able to sing and perform the same as everyone else around me. I'm equal, you know, so, yeah. What would you say the most liberating thing or opportunities that are open because of you revealing your face? Slowly but surely, you know, like SNS began becoming very popular around, you know, five years ago. Like people were starting to use SNS for more musical aspects and promotional aspects. And, you know, YouTube was getting bigger and bigger. Probably what was liberating was that I could take my own pictures and post it or, you know, I could appear in interview videos with my face and do concerts without having to worry about having pictures or uh, videos taken by fans and being uploaded. My staff didn't have to check the internet for weird photos of me being posted around. That was completely liberating. My fans are in a way, I set my fans free as well because my core fans were very loyal to me and no one posted pictures of me anywhere. And that was amazing. You know, they were very protective of me. But at the same time, I know that they had to make an effort to do that as well. So right now, though, I take pictures with my fans at fan meetings. I let them see my face without having to hide it. Also, the most liberating thing is in my music videos, I don't have to wear a hood. Oh. That is huge. I You mentioned you were straining your neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was the cause of my neck strain. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's jump over and talk about your new album or upcoming mm -hmm. album and okay. thesis. So so far at least right now, we've seen some a lot of teasers and mm -hmm. I would love you to explain what the concept of the album is. Well, this is the first, I've said many times maybe, but this is the first time I'm self-producing my own album. And although this album is a mini album, as a first step for me, it's in a way, a very good way, a complete handful for me. So I'm glad that it's not a full album that I'm self-producing because I'd probably be like dead by now if it was a full album. But at the same time, this is a huge new challenge for me. And like I said earlier, I'm always looking to evolve as a musician and to try new things. So I've been working with the same director for eight or nine years. 
And working with the same director is in a way very, very, there, there are good pros about it because you trust each other, you understand each other, and you, you don't even have to talk about it anymore. You, you know what they want and you don't even have to explain your emotions. But at the same time, working with the same people also makes you feel too safe at times. And also you stop trying for new things. This time, I really just wanted to try something completely 180 degrees new. In order to do that, I had to step out of my safety zone. I had to step away from the things that I thought were safe. That was why I decided to self-produce my own album and sort of liberate myself from the safety that I've been inside since my major debut. And so I'm not working with the same director on this album. A lot of new people are in my team right now that weren't with me when I made a debut. But at the same time, though, a lot of the musicians that I'm working with on this album are people that I've known from my Nico Nico days. For example, like Buzz G and Neko and also like the bassist uh, Nakamura K. And I'm also collaborating with the illustrator who drew my character image for Now or Never. All these people that I've known for so long and trust are also working with me on this album. So it's, it's really interesting trying something new, but at the same time working uh, with people that I really trust and admire as well. That was the concept of the album to break open to liberate myself, but at the same time, respect the path that I've come and respect the things that have created me as a musician. I definitely noticed that there was a lot of people involved who've been helping you in the past. And mm -hmm. I'm actually personally a fan of Neko as well. Ooh, awesome. Uh, yeah, so I've been listening to his stuff for quite some time. So I was really surprised that you guys worked on this album together and, and composed mm -hmm. uh, all the songs. So why did you choose to work with specifically Neko? It's interesting because we've known each other for a really long time. And we've always said that someday we really want to work together, like really personally. And I've always respected Neko as a musician. He is a genius. I've probably, of all the people that I've met in my life, he is in the top three geniuses that I've met. He's not only a vocalist, he writes songs, he arranges, he plays instruments, and etc 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 and so he is a complete genius and i bow down to it in you know many ways when i first thought about creating an album or creating new music he was the first guy that popped into my head oh you know i i want to work with him and so even before the album was planned i said hey neko can i talk to you there's an idea that i have and I told him about my plans about wanting to sort of evolve as a musician and wanting to try new sounds. At the time, though, you know, he was doing his own thing. So he was like, you know, I'm not sure if schedule wise this is possible. But after a few months, he was like, yeah, let's do it. I really want to do this. You know, let's let's do this project together. And so that's where the album creation started. Without him, probably, maybe the album would not have been started, in a sense. Wow, it's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys go really far then. Yeah, way back before my major debut as a singer, we did cover songs together. And personally, we were also friends. So not just doing covers, we, you know, chatted on at the time, it was Skype, I think. <laughs> Skype is, like, dead now. But, you know, we we chatted on Skype a lot. And for some reason, I don't know why, but he told me that he respected me as a musician as well. And he was like, you know, at the time, I really want to do more music with you in the future. So I have no idea why a genius like him would call me a genius in return. But he respected me and I respected him. And so our connection lasted over the years. And... It's still very strong right now, so... That's awesome. You mentioned how you're evolving through this self-producing album here. You also mentioned before on your YouTube that people are going to see the new Nano. Mm -hmm. When you said new Nano, it wasn't just 
personality-wise or appearance-wise showing the new Nano, but also in the music aspect as well? Um, More so in the music aspect than in the personal level, I think, because in the end, I, I live for music. Music is my life, and I express who I am through my music. So eventually, as a person, of course, I want to show the new Nano. But first of all, I want to show the new Nano in my music. And so this album is all about, like, everything I did in the album. If, for example, there was something that didn't click with me or didn't make me feel comfortable or didn't make me feel natural, then I was like, no, I'm not doing it because that's not natural. That's not Nano. Nano likes everything she does and loves the music she does. If I don't love what I'm doing, then that's not me. So that's not going to be a part of the album. I'm not making this album just to please somebody. I'm not making this album just to please the listeners. I'm making this album as an expression of who I am and what music means to me. This album, the concept in the end, is about me as a musician wanting to reach out to the people in the world and wanting to really, really make music that reaches people's hearts and supports people's hearts when they really need the power or the push or the light. I feel that what you just said at the end is exactly how I feel essentially about almost every song that you make. Oh, it's thank a, you. Like you get a real energy boost out of your songs. Mm. And I mean, your first song, Autobiography, is essentially your autobiography, right? Yes. You don't get any more personal than that. <laughs> yeah. You know, autobiography, the reason I wanted to create this song in the first place, and also the reason why it's my first song that I revealed to my listeners and to the world, is because it's sort of, uh, like, in a way, this song is not 100% new material for me. It kind of respects my old sound as well. It's not, like, completely, oh my gosh, who is this? What the hell? You know, it's not completely away from what I've been doing in the past. And also, it reminds me of a lot of me and Neko collaborations. Like, the energy is similar to what me and Neko have been doing in the past. I wanted it to be a good sort of balance between old Nano and new Nano. I wanted it to be a song that my old fans, or not my old fans, but, you know, the fans that have been supporting me over the years... I wanted it to be a song that they felt comfortable with and where they were like, oh my gosh, yes, this is the Nano I love. But at the same time, the new people that might come across me for the first time, I also wanted them to hear it and understand like, oh, so this is who Nano is. This is the kind of musician Nano is. And I wanted to be a good balance between saying hello, new world, and hello, my friends and my current fans. So it's a good balance. Yeah, yeah definitely. And uh, All I Need shows a very mature side of Nano. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a very fragile side as well. So yes. I think because I've been listening to the album for a few days, actually, by this point. Oh, great. And I really love that song. Oh, that's really good to hear. All I Need is you pick the perfect word, fragile. It's a fragile song for me as well, because me and Neko, when we created this song, we wanted to just try something completely new. All I need is a song that is not something that I've done before, but I wanted it to be very raw and very sort of like sensitive, you know? It, I wanted it not to be a song about just, you know, fighting or, you know, overcoming yourself or, you know, being strong all the time because not everyone is strong all the time. Most people are actually 80% fragile and maybe 20% strong. And so after Autobiography, which is a power song for me, I wanted all I need to be sort of the contrast of the other side. I wanted it to be a very sensitive song that sneaks into people's sort of sensitive sides that you know you're, they're fragile sides and it's kind of like a song that fills the empty voids of the heart there's a similar song as well hourglass i know you teased it a bit during your live stream mm -hmm. that you would explain more about it later but as a, a even more teaser i wanted to ask you if it was uh, related to 
last refrain the version in memories of you ah um personally this song off the album is one that i created completely by myself both the lyrics and the song itself is written by me and it's a very personal song for me so this song is just about the real nano everything about it is raw and real it's about my life it's about my weaknesses and my strengths and i didn't write it in connection to any other song that i've sung in the past it's just so if people feel that maybe there's some connection it's probably a natural process and a natural connection and they kind of feel it because last refrain was a very personal song as well in that sense it's similar i think the message is kind of similar that on the personal level but this song though is very very close to me and off the album it's probably one of my most personal songs so i'm sort of happy that you can connect it to a past song of mine that's also very very personal and the fifth track remember again i mean mm -hmm. that definitely connects back to magenta yes it's it's you know once you read the lyrics it's like oh wow yeah it's definitely magenta yeah the name itself remember again is what you start with on that song mm -hmm. first line in magenta it took me actually a second to remember that magenta wasn't actually called remember again the first lyrics in magenta start with remember again and the reason why i titled the song and also i put you know respect full lyrics about magenta into the lyrics of remember again was when i was writing this song with buzz g i realized you know this album is my new sort of doorway into the future it's been nine years since my major debut and nine years since magenta at the time when i first became you know working as a professional musician everything was new to me everything was like a puzzle for me, everything was a mystery to me. So Magenta, in a way, was sort of my question out to the world, like, what is my future going to be like? It was full of mysteries and it had no answers. So I realized, you know, after eight, nine years, I've seen so many things, I've experienced so many things that maybe I can answer to that past nano you know i can answer to that past song where i began and this would be a perfect time for me to make those answers and so remember again this song is an answer song to magenta to myself in the past saying you know you were right in choosing the path that you did and you just have to keep going you know believe in yourself be strong don't ever give up if i were to talk to myself nine years ago i would say keep doing what you're doing not every day is going to be great not every day is going to be smiles but as long as you have music you're going to live it through so wow that, that was deeper than i thought actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then we also have one song that i didn't actually mention yet because i saved the last most explosive song and last that but is, not least <laughs> that is the main track of the album line of fire yes that's the lead track before i ask you to briefly explain about it i mm -hmm. personally feel a lot of nano and uh, at the same time like a lot of neko as well in this one. Oh wow from all of the songs in the album i feel like this one is like 50 50 Wow, that's very interesting because when we created this song, that was what we had in mind. In the first two songs that we created, of course, Neko is a creator who writes for other people as well. So he wanted to uh, make sure with the first two songs that he wasn't going to break my image with his own sort of music style. He wanted to, you know, create a nano song with the first two songs. So he was very adjusting in a way, but with the song was going to be my absolute sort of challenge song. Like it was going to be everything about this album. And I wanted it to be so powerful and amazing. In order to do that, I had to just completely break free from whatever sort of shell that I had personally. And I also, since I personally asked Neko to work with me and I wanted to work with him. I told him, this song, you don't have to make any adjustments for me. I want you to do what you feel 
is completely like what you feel from your soul. I want you to have fun with me with this song. So we're going to have fun creating this song and we're going to forget rules and we're going to forget like styles. We're just going to explode. Yo. So, and we said we totally exploded. Like I did what I wanted. Yes, exactly. I did what I wanted. He did what he wanted. And it just put together made magic. And that was line of fire. So I told him, forget trying to please me. Do what you want. And I'm going to do what I want as well. So, yeah. That's awesome. So in terms of the lyrics, how do you normally decide what to use? Like, when do you use, when do you sing English? Like, for which part? And when do you sing mm -hmm. Japanese? And why? It's completely feeling. If I'm, like, humming the melody and suddenly, like, English lyrics come out, then I'm like, oh, yeah, English probably feels better here. And if Japanese lyrics kind of start slipping out, then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is Japanese. But at the same time, for example, I remember again the song. I originally wrote it mostly in Japanese, but then I was as I was sort of recording the demo at home and singing it to myself, I was like, I feel this part should be in English or like this part feels very weird for me singing in Japanese or I feel more comfortable um, expressing this in English, you know, so I change it up. It's just really mostly feeling. But at the same time, for example, when I'm doing an anime tie-up, then I have to adjust to what the anime side wants. Like if they say, yeah, we want it 80% Japanese and 20% English, then I'll try to fulfill that. Or if they say we want it all in English, then I'll try to fulfill that. But this album is all about being true to myself. So everything is just completely about intuition and feeling. Inside My Core is a song that kind of stood out to me because normally in Japanese songs you would hear some English words slip in, but most of the time mm -hmm. it's just 99% uh, Japanese for the rest mm -hmm. of the song. But here you sang, give me back my jinsei, give me back my ume. And typically uh, for Japanese songs is where you would put like life and uh, destiny, <laughs> but you kind of reverted it. Yeah. That was also sort of my challenge to try something new. And like, I wanted to do something that wasn't cool, to be honest. Like, you know, a lot of people probably be like, oh my gosh, those are corny lyrics. But I wanted to do something really like different. I wanted to be uncool sometimes. I think sometimes it's better to it's better to be uncool than to try to aim to be cool. And that part was like, you know, my sort of... I don't know, but me being uncool and having fun and just making myself just like normally because I'm bilingual in real life, I would never speak like that. I would never be like, oh my gosh, Jinsei is so is so exciting. You know, I would never speak like that. I would be like, oh, that's ugh, yuck. <laughs> yeah. But in this song, in this song, I was like, you know, let me try this. And in the beginning, though, I had it was it was it didn't come naturally to me but as i was doing it this i was like oh my gosh this is this is funny this is cool you know so sometimes it's better to be uncool than to be, try to aim to be cool yeah yeah i find it uh, pretty interesting because i, I never seen it done that way mm -hmm. so for me it was a a positive thing i, I didn't really think that it was uncool though <laughs> oh that's good that's good <laughs> then it was just me yeah Okay, cool. So how much does the bilingual part of you actually influence the music you create in terms of like the overall sound of it and not just mm -hmm. the lyrics itself? Well, for most of my younger years, I grew up listening to, what do you call it, global music and not Japanese music. So my roots exist in more like Americanized or UK rock and stuff. And so naturally when I sing or naturally when I sort of songwrite, it tends to lean more toward non-Japanese music, like the sound. But at the same time, though, I chose to do music in Japan. And when I first came across like J-Rock and J-Pop and anime songs, I was so surprised at the quality 
of Japanese music and the sort of individualism and the excitement and the entertainment aspects of it. And I fell in love with Japanese music. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to pursue a career in Japan and not like America, for example. And so my lyrics and my music style, I feel that I try to sort of mix the great aspects of both worlds, you know. There are a lot of things that I love about American music and European music, and there are a lot of things that I love about Japanese music, and those good parts, I try to make them into a puzzle, so, yeah. We previously spoke about you being discovered because one of the aspects was uh, because you were able to sing English, but mm -hmm. outside of that, in your current days, what would mm -hmm. you say is the perks of being able to speak both languages? Since, you know, in recent years, thanks to the internet, the sort of global lines between countries and like borders is very like getting thinner and non-existent you know you can connect with people no matter where they are in the world and because of that being able to speak in english and understand english and communicate with people in english is a huge plus because you know people can understand you and you can communicate with people without having like a translator there all the time and I feel that I'm very grateful that I have two languages under my wing. And that's probably one of the biggest aspects. But at the same time, also, you know, there are, there are people that are way more talented and can speak like 10 languages. But even having two languages in yourself helps you be more open to different cultures. It helps you accept different cultures and differences more, I think. So I'm glad that I was born in the U.S. and spent a lot of my the later years in Japan because I have the ability to sort of accept and be grateful for differences across countries and across borders. And I love cultural differences. I love people from no matter what country they're from. Like, I can get along with anyone, you know. So I assume that you've been through some experiences that most people haven't because of your ability to speak both languages and also because you live in New York and now you're living in Japan as well. Mm -hmm. How has that changed you as a person? Japan is pretty slow when it comes to becoming international. Japanese people recently are getting more in, you know, globally sort of aware and they're trying to learn English and stuff. But Japan was really slow in actually trying to incorporate English more into the society. When I first came to Japan, hardly anyone spoke English and there were no foreigners in Japan. If there was a foreigner walking down the street, people would be like staring at them like, you know, they were aliens. That for me, in a sense, was my identity. And I was very grateful to be able to be living in Japan, but at the same time, you know, understanding international things and being more globally open. But at the same time, I have gone through a lot of difficulties because of, you know, being sort of American raised and born and being Japanese in blood. Because, yeah. you know, in America at the same time, now, you know, everyone loves Japan in America. But back in the day, people were like, you know, seaweed ew raw fish ew you know they were like you know not open to that kind of thing so there were times when i did feel like why am i japanese you know i wanted to be american but now i'm just very very grateful for my identity i want to speak a bit about the new nano the youtube stuff that you've been introducing to the world recently mm-hmm since you're all about showing the new side of Nano, let's talk about Nano. <laughs> okay. So who, who is Nano? 
who is Nano? You know, I probably will not find the right answer for this until the day I die. Like when I when I die, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm Nano. But, you know, until then, every day is a new adventure. Every day is a new discovery. So it's not like one day Nano is going to be complete and unchanging. And if Nano were to be sort of in the dictionary, I probably couldn't write a description because it's going to be ever changing. And Nano is all about being curious, being open, evolving, changing. You know, Nano could one day um, be this, but the next day be that. You know, that's all about being Nano is being changing. The people that listen to my music and are following me and fans of me, they might be like, you know, it might be difficult for them to keep up with my changes. But at the same time, I want them to have fun. I don't want them to be bored with me. I want them to always feel like, what is Nano going to do next? You know, I want them to be excited and on their feet. And so this YouTube channel, for example, is is a way to do that, to keep people on their feet, to keep people entertained and to try new things. Like I couldn't do that just with music in the past. Music has its limits and you're not always able to do everything you want when it comes to music. But, you know, like on YouTube, I don't necessarily have to do music all the time. I can do more hobby-like things. I can talk about my personal life. I can talk about things that don't aren't related to music and have people sort of get to know me on a personal level. So, The mysterious Nano that we've seen in the past, is that the same Nano as the current Nano? I think so, because at the time, even though I was trying to fulfill an image, at the same time, as a human being, I was very shy and I was very sort of afraid for people to get to know me too well. My shell was very hard. At the time, that was me personally as well. I probably didn't want people to get too close to me because I was scared that I was, you know, not perfect. I was scared that people would be disappointed with who I was. And I didn't have like confidence in myself at the time. So that was also true nano but now that i've been singing for a longer time and i and i've been supported and loved by my fans and staff and team i'm more confident than i was 10 years ago and so i'm this is who i am now and i'm so happy to be able to personally connect with my fans on like sns and youtube and show my face and be not perfect all the time and say you know hey i go to the convenience stores in my pajamas yay so yeah but you also mentioned that you had a a dark side right in order for me to be positive and in order for, for me to be you know happy and smiling I have to know the dark side. I think that you can't be happy and you can't really, really, truly be positive if you don't know pain, if you don't know shadow. And I think without, even in like scientific life, there is no shadow if there is no light and vice versa. There is no light if there's no shadow. So the more pain you understand and go through, the more sadness you know, the more, you know, darkness you know. I think the more light you know in the end. So I will never try to get rid of or hide the dark side of me because that's also the reason why I love being positive and I love, you know, making people smile because I know the dark side and I know pain. So, yeah. In correlation to the new Nano, we've mm -hmm. seen that your logo went from lowercase letters yeah. And now we jump to the uppercase letters. Is that related to the changes? Yeah, um, that was one of the first things that I told my team that I wanted to change. And the reason is because, you know, the older logo with the lowercase letters was kind of cute and was kind of like friendly. But I was like, no, I don't want to be friendly anymore. I want impact. <laughs> I want to be powerful. And so I was like, make it all capital letters. And so, you know, that's just me trying to be like really more strong and being more like, you know, powerful. Yeah. yeah. And also your artist photos, they're so much more revealing now compared to your old photos. Yeah, there's nothing hidden in them. I mean, like you can see everything. <laughs> <laughs> You can even see my pores and you can see like 
You can see everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's quite refreshing, at least for me, because mm-hmm. of the old nano hiding in their face uh, all the time. Yeah, I mean, perhaps there may be times in the future when I decide not to show my face at times. I mean, you know, that could happen. I could wear a hood again. You know, I might make a music video or, you know, something where I'm not in the video itself. You know, I really do respect the mysterious side of me and my mysterious past as well. And that's never going to change. But with this artist photograph, I just wanted to show people who really Nano is without barriers and without editing and, you know, Everything you see is for real. You know, that was my message. So, Are you planning on uploading videos to your new channel regularly? Yes, um, we've taken a few uh, videos already and I plan to upload new stuff and new content regularly, both music and non-music content. So I want my fans to just have a good time on the new channel as well and just have fun with me yeah but i will never become just a youtuber i'm always going to be musician that also is a youtuber not the other way around so <laughs> perfect not a lot of youtubers speak both languages uh, at least japanese youtubers so in your mm-hmm. case you have to switch between japanese and english how do you cope with that it is tough But also, I I tell myself that it's good practice not to forget my English because in Japan, I hardly use English. And so sometimes uh, I tend to like, oh, wait, what's that word in English? Or like uh, my tongue isn't going around and, you know, I'm tongue tied. I'm telling myself that it's good practice to keep up my language skills. But at the same time, I also really, really want to reach out to the global community, not just the Japanese fans. I think it's really important for me to finally be able to use my English for good use. Up until now, I could only use it for my lyrics, but now I can actually use it to communicate with the world. So I'm really happy about that. This kind of ties in with you talking about the SNS stuff, right? Yeah. So it's uh, all coming along. Yeah, it's it's exactly what I wanted to do. It's exactly what the goals and the dreams that I wanted to achieve. And, you know, if I look back, I'm sort of, you know, one by one, my dreams are coming true. And so it's kind of surreal and really happiness. Yeah. You mentioned Gact in your video that you enjoyed his work. <laughs> uh, do you think that we'll ever see a collaboration between you and Gact? <laughs> Wow, maybe in a million years, I don't know. But, you know, I would love to collaborate, like, like with Trash Taste, I never imagined that I would collaborate with people, you know, with like a podcast like Trash Taste. So who knows, you know, I could collaborate with like random YouTubers in the future. You know, that would be exciting. I would love to collaborate with a lot of people. That would be really cool. In terms of your personality, in the past, you also mentioned that you were kind of in-home person, right? Mm-hmm. And how does that go along with you being so genuinely open and friendly <laughs> as a person? Mm, I love my alone time and I love my personal time. But at the same time, if I'm alone for too long, then I get really lonely and I'm like, oh, I'm people sadness. You know, I want to see people. I want to talk to people. And I love people. If I didn't love people and if I didn't love you know, connecting with people, I probably wouldn't have chosen music as a career. I do music not just to uh, sing and not just to enjoy music, but to be able to connect with people. And I think personality-wise, though, I've always been sort of a loner. Like, I'm not too good with, you know, expressing myself. So that's why I came across music. And music is my outlet and my way to connect with people and to express myself. So without music, I would probably be completely like a hermit crab and I would be like you know dark and just people-less and friendless in life. So we're about to enter the last question but before that I wanted to ask you what would you say the essential changes has happened from your early works to the current work that you're producing now? 
Well, the biggest difference is that I've grown as a musician and as a human being. That really incorporates into the music that I'm doing now. When I first started, of course, like I'm completely, you know, an amateur. I know nothing about the professional world and about being a musician as a professional sort of occupation. But even standing on stage was new to me. Recording in the studio was new to me. Having band members was new to me. But now, over the years, I've experienced a lot of things and I can finally, you know, I'm at that place where I can sort of direct my own self and know what I want as a musician. My music is more, more true to me now than it was before. It's more nano, it's more direct, it's more real and raw. And so that's probably the biggest difference. There's a lot of confidence that I can feel from those words. Mm, yeah. So yeah, the last question was、well, not really a question. I just wanted you to send a message to all your fans overseas or in Japan, anywhere in the world. Well, you know, if I was able to say all the things that I wanted to say to my fans and to the people around the world, it would probably take about、uh, 10 years. <laughs> So, I, I'm going to try to make my words sweet and simple as possible. But the one thing that I really want to say is thank you so much for just getting to know my music, coming across my music, and just giving me like five minutes of your time to listen to my music. First of all, that's the most important thing. And then the second thing is thank you so much for being there for me and supporting my music throughout the years. And even the people that I'm going to meet from today, those people I'm so So excited to connect with. And, you know, I think music is the most powerful thing in the world that can connect people no matter where you are and no matter what generation it is. Even though, for example, COVID has made the world go through so much pain and struggling, music didn't die and music never stopped. Because of music, People stayed connected and people were able to get power through music when they needed it. I really felt that this past year made me even more grateful for having chosen music as my career. And so I just want to say please turn to music when you're feeling down. Please turn to music when you're feeling like you need some sort of lighter power. And if my music happens to be that tool for you, then I'm so happy that you came across my music. So I just want to say thank you and keep rocking on because I'm going to keep rocking on as well. Yeah. Rock on. Rock on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous. No, your questions were amazing. You know, your questions were so good that I talked, I way talked too much. So, yeah. And I'll tell Neko that, you know, you said hi. Oh, thank you. <laughs>